Right, we're going to show you a quick video. 46 seconds, I believe. This is John. Right. What's that happened, John? I've just left my back sorted out. Okay, uh, what? What, what was it like before? It was very niggly and painful. Okay. Um, I suffered with a slip disc L5. Yeah. And it's made a difference since I've been sitting here, standing here with the gentleman and that. Okay. Cool. And did anything else happen? Uh, done some stretching of my left, uh, my legs. Yeah. My right leg was pulling. Make it start longer. Yeah, yeah okay, and, cool. And lying with me left one. Yeah, cool. And, and how are you feeling now? All right. You're feeling all right? Yeah. You're ready to go for the day? Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Just take it from there. And see okay. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So yeah, it's better than that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so, yeah, I'll tell a bit of the story later. But anyway, basically what happened was... He was, uh, he came straight over, he said he had a bad back, he came straight over, we asked him where his pain level was at, and to be honest, Chris and I just prayed our best prayers, we're really not experts, you're just willing to keep praying your best prayers <laughs> and, and trusting that God will do the rest. So he, um, his pain went, and then he stood up and was doing this for ages, just kept doing this, so uh, we joined him. Uh, and we were all doing that for a little while, you know. He's fairly conspicuous anyway, he was in high vis. Um, and then we, uh, we sat him down and prayed and his leg grew out and he actually said he felt his leg like it was being stretched. Yet we weren't, we weren't doing any stretching, not, certainly not physical stretching anyway, that's for sure. Um, and he said he felt that happen. So um, I love the way people respond. I love it, especially if they don't know church because they just respond oh yeah oh yeah that's good isn't it it was a bit like that and he said oh pain will probably come back later on but it's all right at the moment uh, I saw him a couple of hours later when I had to leave I saw him in the high street and went and found him I said how's the back oh yeah that's all right so he's agreed he's going to come back in a fortnight when he's next on shift and we're next on in he's going to give us an update on his back I had one guy, um, bless him, it was funny. And I said, he had a bit of pain in his knee. I said, you know what, we, we just prayed for a guy over here and his, his back pain went. I said, we could pray for you and your knee pain could go. Lovely guy he was. Yeah, pigs might fly, he went. 85 years old, this guy. Yeah, pigs might fly. <laughs> so um, we had, had a little chat with him, he was lovely. He was a lovely guy. And um, as he... As he, we said goodbye, I said, well, it's been really nice to meet you. Um, do come past again when we're next in town, won't you? And I said, and do you know what? I'm going to pray for you that as you walk up the high street to catch your bus, I'm going to pray that the pain goes in your knee. All right, he said, shook my hand and walked off. And I called out after him, watch out for the flying pigs. <laughs> it's good fun. You should come out. It's terrifying and good fun in equal measure. Um, Okay, we haven't got that long because there's been so much other stuff I haven't even told you about wildfires, which we want to do. But anyway, so every time we look at the Bible, it is not for information. Okay, we, we know that, right? We're not looking for information. There is no shortage of information out there. Information used to be 
the currency that got you ahead, but it isn't anymore. It's now wisdom, really, is the currency that gets you ahead. Um, because information, we've all got all the information we ever need on a little device in our pocket, and then you just Google it, and you find out pretty much anything. I mean, who remembers the days of Encyclopedia Britannica? The entire collection on your shelf. I have the whole lot. You know, that thing. Totally needless. I remember in Carter coming out as a, as a CD-ROM, they were called. Anyway, we slightly digress. Uh, every time we read the Bible, it's for God to reveal more of who he is to us, to re reveal more of his character, for us to discover more and be transformed by what we discover. That's why we read the Bible. If we're reading it for information, then we're missing out on the true life-giving nature that it really is and has. So this is John chapter 2. I'm going to read it from two translations back to back. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheap stuff later. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples put their trust in him. So that was from the NIV, the New International Version. I'm now going to read it from the Passion. It just gives a slightly different light on it, not right or wrong, just a slightly different way of viewing it. Now, on the third day, there was a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet, but with so many guests in attendance, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realized it, she came to him and asked, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Mary then went to the servants and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, make sure you do it. Now, there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for the Jewish, wa Jewish washing rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to the servers and told them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. Then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. And when they poured out their pitcher for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. When he tasted the water that became wine, the master of ceremonies was impressed although he didn't know where the wine had come from, but the servers knew. He called the bridegroom over and said to him, every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two, and then he serves the wine of poor quality. But you, you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine until now. This miracle in Cana was the first of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So 
What I would like to do, the aim of the uh, miracles season that we're in at the moment when it, with the talks, is to try to encourage us as hard as it can feel and as daunting as it can feel to can we go and do likewise. Jesus said, you've seen all this stuff, go and do likewise. And much of what Jesus does can feel really big, like, oh, I don't really think I could do that. So that is one of the main aims. That's why we're going through this whole miracles, um, miracles series. And we love the language that Mark Marks left us with, which is just pray your best prayer. You can only do what you can do. You go into a situation and you pray your very best prayer. But there's something about this miracle that for me stands out from um, the rest of Jesus' miracles. It's an unusual one because actually it has got nothing to do with seeing someone raised from the dead. It's got nothing to do with seeing someone healed and has everything to do with someone saving face, which you would think that isn't really Jesus's bag to go around helping people save face, which is essentially what's going on. So what I'm going to do is come with me, if you will. We're going to go into the story and try and as much as we can imagine being there and actually what was going on. Because most people have been in church for any time. Even if you haven't been in church, most people know about that Jesus bloke who turns the water into wine. Most people have heard about that. But it is, it reveals a lot about what the nature of Father God is like as we read this. So first of all, Jesus' mum, Mary, had been invited to this wedding. Now, it's very likely, not definite, but it's very likely that it's a relative of Mary. Jesus was invited too and his disciples. According to some um, scholars, they think he actually only had five disciples at that time because he didn't get all 12 in like one day. Um, so he potentially only had five with him. But anyway, Jesus was invited and Jesus', Jesus disciples were also invited. So while we don't know much about uh, first century wedding, weddings, we do know they were feasts. We do know they were feasts. So Jesus had been invited, he had his disciples, and you, you've got to think the Jewish culture and Mary, she somehow knew that they'd run out of wine. We don't know how she knew, but she found out they'd run out of wine. And she thinks to herself, okay, what can I do? How can I help in this? I know, I know, I'm gonna go and ask Jesus. She would obviously clearly have known Jesus extremely well. I think it's fair to say that while he may have been given the same upbringing as other children, he was very different. I think he was very different. And she knew, she knew from when Jesus was presented in the temple, um, at eight days old, she would have known, she knew the Song of Simeon, as it's called, prophetic words spoken over Jesus. I think it would have been pretty clear what Jesus was about. So she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus' reply is, is fascinating because he says, what's that got to do with you? And what's that got to do with me? Huh? So they've run out of wine. And I love, as you're in this story, I can picture Mary waving Jesus. Oh, goes straight to the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you. I love that. 
I love that Jesus is reflecting the Father to show that, do you know what? God can be persuaded. God can be persuaded. We see it with Moses. When God said, um, said uh, that I am not coming with you anymore. I've had enough of this people. I'm not coming with you anymore. I'm going to send an angel with you instead. And Moses said, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. I mean, you're, going to, you're just going to make us a laughing stock. We're the people that bear your name and you're not even going to be there. And slightly paraphrasing the story, God says, okay, I'll come. Wow. And what I love is not that we can manipulate God. That's not it. I love the fact that God is moved by our opinions. He cares about what we think. He cares about some of the things that we think about and what's going on for us. So I love the fact that um, even though Jesus has said, Mum, what's this got to do with you? What's this got to do with me? Oh. Tells the servants, look, whatever he tells you to do, just go and do it. So I can picture as Mary's walking off, Jesus is behind rolling his eyes. And all his disciples are all going. Like this, as if to say, over to you, what are you going to do? Because they didn't really know who he was, what he was capable of, what he was about even. All they knew is that instead of them having to pick their rabbi, their rabbi, their teacher would come and pick them. So it was already a bit of an unusual situation. So Jesus then, after rolling his eyes and checking in with the Father, because he knows what Father God's like. He knows what he's like. So he knows that this is in God's nature to say, yeah, come on then, let's do this. So there are some big pictures, some big um, vessels that hold water. Now to give you some idea, this is why this is up here, this is not erroneous, just someone's left it lying around. Um, each of these pictures will have held about um, 150 litres. And to give you some idea, this is five. So there were six of them that held how many of these? <laughs> 30 of these. Well done, Chris. Very good. Get a math sticker. Uh, so six of them, each one holding 30 of these. And Jesus said, go and fill them up with water. So no one really knew what was going on. Mary had walked off. The disciples probably were watching. So Jesus tells the servants, you just need to go and fill these things up with water. Now, I don't know what you would have felt like if you were a servant. And maybe some rumours about this goody two-shoes odd boy who was amazing. Because uh, Jesus would have had some kind of renown. He would have been known a bit. But anyway, so Jesus had come. And of course, he hadn't really been fully revealed. So people didn't really know quite who he was at that point. And he's telling people to fill up pitchers with water, um, vases with water, great big containers with water. But the, they go off and do it. The servants go off and do it. And they fill them up. And then Jesus says, OK, now put, drop your sort of pitchers, your large sort of goblet, um, scoopy things in. And I want you to take it to the master of ceremonies. So this person was responsible for the whole feast, responsible that people got their food, they didn't run out of food, oops, uh, that they didn't have any issues, that people were behaving themselves. It was like an MC sort of thing. So they take the wine to this person and somewhere along that way, somewhere along that way, between the water being poured into there, the scoop 
and being given to the master of ceremonies, somewhere along there, it changes into wine. I don't know where. Can you imagine if it's still water as you're giving it to the master of ceremonies? And you, you can see it's water in there and you're doing as you've been told by Jesus. And then he takes a big sip, a big gulp and says, wow, this is good wine. And the servant takes, the, takes it back and stares and looks at the other servants and they're all absolutely bemused. And then they go back to the, they go back to the big vessels and realise they're all completely full of wine now. There is a moment. I love the fact that somewhere in God's mind, he decided when it was going to turn into wine. And I reckon he picked the most fun moment. That's what he would have done. Because let's face it, he could have just done it that everyone's drinks were full around the table. You know, I mean, Jesus could have just gone like that and they'd have all been, didn't even have to click. And they would have all been full. But there was that moment and it's, it's just such a lovely moment. And Mike Pilavachi, he says that in this moment, he can picture all the servants looking absolutely gobsmacked and bemused, and they look back across at Jesus, and Jesus goes, <laughs> like that, and just winks at them. Says, fun, right? This is good, isn't it? Like, don't make a big thing out of it, but we know, right? We know. So that reveals to me something of what God is like. There's something in that. It's so, if you like, it's needless, the miracle. I know there, there are layers. There are prophetic layers in there as well. For example, under the Old Testament, it, was a, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a covenant of grace. So a covenant is an agreement that says all of me in return for all of you forever. And then there are normally conditions applied to it. Okay, but a covenant essentially is all of me in return for all of you forever. So God said to the people uh, in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15, he said, I will be my God, you will be my people, etc. And he made these promises to them, but they had to fulfill the law. Now, God, even when he was setting the law up, which is basically a set of requirements, even when God was setting it up, he knew they wouldn't be able to do it. Why set it up? Well, because God's standards remain the same, but he set it up and let them have all that period of time because they had to realize their need of a savior. And we need to constantly know our need of a savior too. So under the old, under the old covenant, you had Moses who initiated and started the old covenant um, essentially carried it, the first part, anyway. He, his first miracle, was he turned water into blood. And here you have Jesus ushering in the new covenant. He said, the old has gone, the new has come. And a new covenant, and this is a covenant not of works or law, but this is a covenant of grace. People get a bit confused with the word grace. And they think it means graceful. So this is grace. And whatever, that isn't actually, but whatever that was. But instead, grace is really an empowering. So this covenant of grace means that Jesus, through Jesus, God has come back to us and said, OK, listen, the old one, I'm about to supersede the old one. It's now all of me in return for all of you forever. 
and it's all done. The right standing that Jesus has with me, I'm about to give it to you as a gift. All you've got to do is trust in him. You've just got to believe him. So we're now in this new covenant of grace, even though many of us, uh, many of us slip back and can live under works. And so Jesus, here he is, initiating this new covenant. And of course, what do we take at communion? We drink wine. And Jesus is initiating. It's like his first miracle. So of course, it's got all these layers. And you can keep digging into them. Go and read Matthew Henry's commentary. He's, if you can understand a word of it, there's stacks of it in there. And all kinds of people have got all kinds of opinions on, on this miracle. But there's one other thing I'd just love to show you about God's nature, and then and we'll wrap up. So I love the fact, yes, he's persuadable. And I love the fact, therefore, that Jesus was, oh, mum, come on, what's this got to do with you? It's got nothing to do with me either. It's not really my time. It's not really my time. He looks up to heaven. God winks at him. Oh, come on then, let's do this thing. But I also love there's an extravagance there. There's such an extravagance from God. You've got six pictures, six not pictures like vessels, holding 150 litres, 30 of these, each one. He doesn't say, get me a small goblet. He's essentially saying, find me the biggest things you can. I want six of them. Not one, not two, which would have probably been enough. Three, four, five, six of them. And therefore, there is even the possibility... I, I read somewhere that someone said there's even the possibility that one of the reasons they ran out of drink is because they ran out of money. And there's something about God making such an abundance that he's even trying to restore some of the lost finance to them by making way more wine than they would have needed. I think that's incredible. And what I love about God, you see it in Psalm 23 as well, where he says... Where, where David says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And we, if anyone who's been around church a long while, you know that language, my cup overflows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My cup overflows. No one pours a drink until it overflows, unless it's fizzy and you've lost concentration. But assuming you haven't, let's go for just water, not even sparkling, not San Pellegrino or anything posh. We're just going for plain water. You have a glass, you fill it, you fill it until nearly the top. The polite distance. Kids learn this over time when they fill it right to the top and then have to carry it to another part of the house. You gradually learn how far down, how, how near the top you can get. And I love the idea that in Psalm 23, we have God is the one pouring the drinks and he's pouring the water into the glass and he just keeps pouring and it gets to the top of the glass and he keeps pouring and it overflows out of the glass and starts going across the table and it starts going across the table and God is still pouring and it comes across the table and spills into your lap and starts to soak you and it goes on the floor and you look at God as if to say what are you doing and God winks and smiles says this is who I am not the type what you think I am this is who I am I'm a God of abundance this is my nature towards you. It doesn't mean that God's saying he just wants to give you loads of stuff. That's not what abundance means in this context. It doesn't mean he doesn't want you to have stuff, but that's not the heart of it. I just want you to work your way through the Argos catalogue. That's not what he means. 
But it's, he's a God of abundance. He keeps pouring. He could have done one big vessel of water. Instead, he does six. It's nuts. It's ridiculous. It's extravagant. Well, I think it's wasteful. Well, you're missing out on the nature of who God is then. How many species of moths and beetles have we got? He's extravagant. Can you imagine Adam? Haven't we done beetles? No, I've come up with another one. What? God, this is how many thousands now? I know. It's great, isn't it? Oh, God's not like that. God's not like that. Let me say something. I don't think God ever meant to be in any way serious about anything until sin entered the world. What did he have to be serious about before then? He didn't have to be serious about anything. I think God is, is the orchestrator of fun. Good, yeah, well, you're feeling that. That's, that's, that's good. We'll let that sink in. That's okay. And it's not that he's not those other things. I'm not being flippant, but I'm saying God just made more wine than they need at a banquet where they ran out of wine. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a challenge for me. And this is really where uh, I'm just bringing it into land. This is what this is about. I have this thing, I have this inbuilt now instinct. You know when you learn to drive and you're trained in doing an emergency brake. So something happens and you immediately do the two pedals or one if you're automatic, but you train as an instinct. So what's become honestly now an instinct for me, lots of things aren't, but this one is, I see someone sick, I know it's not God's plan. It's an instant thing, instant. I see someone sick, God doesn't want them sick. God doesn't give sickness, that's not his plan. And if any of you as adults or as parents are saying, well, I want my children sick, frankly, that's a safeguarding issue. No parent does that and God's no different. So I don't have a problem with that, that's really good. I see someone sick, no, that's not how it's meant to be. I see someone who's struggling to have children and I, I read that God, what the blessings of God right at the end of Deuteronomy, and you realize that some of the blessing is on the womb. And so I, I know it's an instinct, like, well, I, let's pray. I come across people, I'm at a party, and they say, we've run out of wine. My instinct is, any minute now, Nick's about to say to me, can you please go to the shop <laughs> as the non-drinker? Can you please go to the shop and get some more? My instinct isn't, I'm going to pray for some. I don't know about you. Mine isn't. I mean, maybe you're obviously all more godly than I am. But um, maybe this week, I think God is looking to reveal a bit more of this aspect of his nature. I was saying in the first service, I think some of you may have incidences this week where someone maybe comes to you and says, oh, do you know what, my... The window on my car's just broken. It's really, I'm pressing the button, it's just not doing anything, or I'm, if you've got one of these, uh, you know, I, I'm, it, nothing's happening. And, and maybe you'll say, can I pray for it? What? Can I pray for your window? Why not? What do you think, do we think God's up there going, well, that's a bit flippant. That's a bit needless. I think you can look up to heaven in those moments and God winks back at you and says, shall we? Shall we do this? And what you want, the moment you want, is you lay hands on that car, the window is fixed, and you go, anyway, see you later, and you want that moment where you walk off and they are open-mouthed. 
at what's just happened. And you just look back and say, God's good, right? I'm, I promise you, I'm not in any way being flippant. Jesus was extravagant in this. He was persuaded to turn a load of manky old water into wine to help people save face. And he had a bit of fun with the servants in the meantime and revealed, it says, last verse of that bit says, this miracle in Cana was the first of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing his glory. It was a sign and his glory is all the goodness of God is summed up in that word glory. And he's saying, I'm starting to show you what dad's like. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Father, there is something about this miracle that slightly offends our religiosity. And we can feel a bit uncomfortable with it, but I thank you that you, you did this stuff. And you invite us to do the same. You said all these things you'll do and more. And God, we're not performing tricks. It's not stunts. It is simply living out a life that reveals what you are like as a father. We want our lives every day to say, this is what my father's like. We want people to look and say, you've got your father's eyes. You've got his ways. Thank you, Father, so much for your presence here with us this morning. Thank you for the sunshine and our rising vitamin D levels. Thank you, God. We were never designed to live under cloud. And Father, as we go from here and feel the warmth of the sun on us, we also know that in the same way your love radiates and we feel the warmth of your affection on us. We love you and we thank you. And just while people have got their eyes closed, if there's anyone here who's not said yes to Jesus, they've they hear that about what the Father's like and say, I want to say yes to that. I want to be in that relationship. We love just to give people an opportunity, pretty much every service, to say, if you want to say yes, then just put your hand up now. We, would, uh, we just want to give you that moment. Well, fantastic. There is communion either side. Great way to... Um, just remember what Jesus has done that has given us this relationship that we can have. Have a wonderful week. Uh, enjoy the sunshine and we'll see you again very soon. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.